All right. Well, I'm excited this morning because we're diving into our small group campaign uh, called Life Together uh, this in this this fall going into the winter. And and the idea is really simple, man. We just we get together and we're going to go through the second half of Ephesians chapter four through six. We went through chapter one through three this time last year, but we're really excited about kind of finishing up and going through chapter four through six. So this morning, everyone listen to me real quick. I'm just giving you a heads up right now. I'm covering a lot of information this morning. I'm just letting you know. It may be really healthy for you to take notes along the way. Because I may say, say something at the very beginning that you'll want to remember, but I'm going to say something really great at the end, too, that may kind of overshadow the first thing. And then you forget the first thing. It's like, what did he say in the first thing, right? So I'd encourage you to take notes today. It'd be really helpful, especially for those of you who are in small groups, because you'll actually have these notes to draw from and remember all your stuff, and so it's good. So this morning as we dive in, the life together. What I want you to hear me say is this. There are three things we're going to cover this morning. First thing we're going to cover is, is kind of some ground rules. Okay, we're going to cover some ground rules. Like just some expectations and things to know as we kind of dive into this. The second thing is we're going to lay three foundations. Foundations are really important. You can't, let me say this, you can't read chapter 4 through 6 and understand it fully unless you're grounded in these three foundations that I'm going to name. They're basically a lens through which you read chapters 4, 5, and 6. You can't understand Paul's heart of what he's ultimately trying to say. Paul has a message he's trying to get across to us, to the church, right? Unless you understand these three foundations, I'm going to name those three, and then we're going to dive in to chapter 4, 7 through 13. So get your Bible ready. We're going to go through it. If you don't have a Bible, I'll get you one. If you have one, make sure you bring it moving forward, okay? Here we go. Ground rules. Number one, and understanding that when, I, when we come in on Sunday mornings, we're going to basically cover three whole chapters of Ephesians in about eight to ten weeks. Okay, We've already looked at a couple of verses, the first six verses for the last two weeks. But we're going to cover the last three chapters in eight to ten weeks. And here's the deal. That's a lot of information in a very short period of time. So that means if you're used to being in one of those churches that like spends like a whole year going over like three chapters, we're not doing that. We're going to I'm not going to be going exegetical, if you know what the word means, and going like verse by verse by verse and covering every little thing in it and breaking out all the Greek for everything you need to know. I'm not going to be doing that. What I'm going to be doing is taking sections, whether it's like six or seven verses or 20 verses or 30 verses, and I'm going to give you an understanding of ultimately what Paul's heartbeat was in those verses. Like when you walk away, this is what Paul would want, have wanted you to know, kind of his overarching theme of what he was trying to communicate. Obviously, yes, in that I will dive deep into different pieces of that. But here's the second thing. I may not cover the things that you think I should cover or that you're really passionate about. Okay, and so don't get frustrated if God's given you a passion about something that you're really excited about, and I don't talk about it, go, that's all right, God, you and I can talk about it with some other people. So I encourage you, if I don't talk about something or dive deep into something you want me to dive into, then just do it yourself. Like, just find some people and go do it yourself. And then you can come tell me about how exciting it was. And like, man, that's awesome. See, if you didn't cover that, it forced me to actually go back myself and do the work of actually reading my Bible for myself and diving into it and learning. And it was actually much more rich than I ever realized it could have been. 
that'd be fantastic, right? So if I don't cover it and you feel like God's leading you to it, then you be obedient and let him cover it with you, all right? It'd be a lot of fun. And the third thing is this. I want to encourage you and invite you. I want to encourage strongly that if you're not part of a small group in this season, you be a part of one. You know scripture was, scripture was, listen, scripture was read in the context of community. Like, you know, they would take, the, they would take it, Paul's letter, and then they would bring the whole body together, and then they would read it. Which had to be really uncomfortable sometimes, because like Paul was calling people out in public. That's kind of awkward, right? But he was like literally reading scripture in the context of a larger group of people. Acts 2.42 says that they would then break up, go into someone's home, they would pray, they would eat, and what would they do? Together in community, as a small group, they would read and study scripture together. That's what we're doing in small groups, taking this time to dive in together, right? It's, it's good to read the Bible by yourself, but honestly, it's really probably better a lot of times to do it in the context of community. Because I'll be honest with you, if I sit with somebody else and I share, listen, I, I sat in a group of my buddies actually on, uh, on, fr- on Friday, and we were talking through life, and it was interesting because we kept on saying things that would then bounce off the next person, off the next person, next person. And by the end of our hour-long conversation on Friday afternoon, it's my buddy's dad's funeral, like we got done. I'm like, oh my gosh, we just had church because, man, we were just bouncing these things of Jesus off of one of you just could not do by myself. And that's what you do in the context of a small group. So I want to invite you to be a part of if you've not signed up for one yet because you're lazy, then here's the Sunday, man. Just get rid of the laziness and sign up. It'd be great. And you have a good time maybe because sometimes small groups are weird. I get it, right? But make the best of it if you get in a weird one. And so with all that said, with all that said, I encourage you seriously to get into a small group and uh, dive into the stuff together. All right. Those are our ground rules. I may cover others as we move forward. Okay. Now the second part, let's get into the foundations. Okay. Let's get into the foundations. Number one foundation lens you have to look at. It's this chapters four through six. They depend on chapters 1 through 3. You can't read chapters 4 through 6 unless you have first grabbed hold of the heart of Paul's message in chapters 1 through 3. And the reason is very simple. Chapters 4 through 6 are going to be Paul naming a lot of things that you are to do and a lot of things you are to refrain from doing. A long, lots of lists of things you're called to do and things you're called not to do. And I'll be honest with you, I've lived my life, a lot of it, right? Trying to do things in my own strength. And guess what it did? It burnt me out. I got overwhelmed. It was too much. And so when we get chapter four through six, it's all about doing. That's why chapters one through three to be a foundation. Why? Because chapters one through three is all about the work of God. His responsibility of saving us and empowering us. And so I look at my whole lists over here of doing and not doing in light of Jesus having saved me and empowered me to do the things he's calling me to do. The heartbeat of of chapters 1 through 3, we looked at it two weeks ago, is 3, 20 and 21. Paul says, now, all this kind of summing up now. To him, Jesus, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's a lot. Now, to him who can do immeasurably more 
than anything you ever ask him to do or ever even just imagine with your mind, right? Um, according to his power that's at work within us, not our power, his power, to him be glory, blah, 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 forever and ever, amen, okay? My point is I want you to see, Paul, Paul's coming saying, here's the deal. God saved you. He's empowered you with a power that enables him to do through you it, more than you could ever dream or imagine. So let him. Now, let's move number two, right? Second foundation. Now, I want you to live a life worthy. That's foundation number two. God, through Paul, is calling each of us. This is the, the filter. This is, listen, now you have to live a life worthy. The word worthy is a hint. The verse one's a hinge verse. It is a hinge word. Over here, I'm in chapters one through three. One is a door on a hinge. I open it up, and now I'm in chapter four through six. Over here, I've been empowered. The hinge verse says now you have a responsibility of things to do. The word worthy we said, it means literally, it's like a, it means a, it means to, to lower the other side of the counterbalance. We said one through three two weeks ago is God's responsibility, God's work of grace, the empowering of his Holy Spirit. Now we have to live a life worthy by equaling out the scale by the things that we do and our responsibility and the works that God's calling us to do. That's what it means to live a life worthy. You take and you equal the scale. Now that you have been empowered, now you have to go do. God's responsibility now leads to our responsibility, right? That we can say in the same way that God has given his all, we in turn are giving our all. That's a foundation. Live a life worthy. As you read, you have to keep that in mind. And the third thing is unity of the Spirit. That's the third foundation. Verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. This is kind of a heartbeat. The whole idea, and this is the thing. Here's, here's one problem with modern day Christianity. We talk only about salvation as personal salvation and our personal walk with Jesus. And that's a problem in reading Ephesians because that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's whole message is not about your personal walk. It's about other people and how your walk impacts them. Chapters 4 through 6 is all about the body of Christ and your responsibility in it. It's not about being a better Christian. It's about empowering people to be followers of Christ. And so the idea for us, he says, listen, pers- listen make every effort, your energy, your choice to keep, pursue the unity of the Spirit, this unity with one another, the idea that of our need for togetherness, that we are stronger together than we are apart. That, so the idea is the foundation. Follow me right here. Ready? Here we go. Foundation number one. You've been empowered. God's done his work. Now, we have a responsibility with our work to do the things that God's calling us to do. What's he calling us to do? To build others up as we engage community and we go after unity. You've been empowered to do for the purpose of building others up. That's chapter 4 through 6. It's all about your responsibility to engage others and make them 
basically better followers of Jesus, which then leads us now into Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. You can either read your Bible or follow along with me going through verse 13. Lay the foundation, and it says this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ chose or apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took captives and he gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ, here we go, right, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, unity in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So now we've built, we're building on the foundation and Paul is leading, listen, Paul's leading us. He's leading you. He's leading us. He's leading you now to our responsibility. He's leading you to your responsibility as we engage life together. And I want to start with this analogy as we go through. I'm going to use it. This, this, this is a rock. Let me just say, this actually is a rock from the Great Wall of China. I'm just kidding, it's not. But I want you to use your imagination this morning, okay? As if I literally went into China and stole a rock or borrowed a rock. I'll put it back someday, right? I borrowed a rock from the Great Wall of China, right? And here it is. Right? But in your mind, what is it? It's just a rock. Right? It's basically now a rock of the Great Wall of China that basically functions as a glorified paper weight. It's really not all that important. Yes, it's kind of cool, a little flat on the edges, right? But it's not really all that substantial and really doesn't have that much purpose or meaning behind it, except that it's now just a single rock sitting by itself. But what happens, what happens to a rock or even to a brick, let's say, when we take that rock and that brick and we put it on top of another rock or another brick, and then we allow other rocks and bricks to be put upon it? What happens? Well, you now have a wall. And if I were to go back over there and say, all right, here's some rocks right here. I'm going to put this back into my imaginary Great Wall of China that I took this from but really didn't. And I place it back in there, right? Now other rocks are sitting upon it. What do you have? One of the seven wonders of the world. You see, a rock by itself doesn't have much purpose. But when you take a rock... And you allow other rocks to be placed upon it, then all of a sudden you're building a wall because one is supporting another. And when we dive into this message of Paul, I want you to recognize the rock or the brick, it represents you. Paul's going to be coming in and talking about your life and your responsibility, saying, All right, you're like, and he, I'm using this language, but the idea is as if you're going to be a rock. And others, you're going to be enabling and helping and being a support for others who can build upon you. 
And in them building upon you, they now have a foundation and they in turn then become a rock for somebody else. Now you're carrying some of that weight. And now what do you have? You have the church, which is the great wonder of the world. And so with that in mind, the first thing I want us to see with this idea of being this rock of the foundation is that in these verses 7 through 13, the ultimate heartbeat, the ultimate takeaway of what Paul is looking for from us is verse 12, where Paul says that our our goal, our responsibility, the call upon our life is to equip God's people for works of service, to equip God's people for works of service. The idea and the challenge is clear. Our unity that we're going after is dependent, listen, is dependent upon each purse, each person doing their work of equipping. Each person doing their work of equipping. So we go back to verse 7 saying, all right, now, how does this equipping work? How does this happen? What does this look like? So verse 7 and 8, where we begin, says, to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it and gave gifts to his people. And the gifts, Paul tells us in verse 11, are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, shepherds, and teachers. Okay? So let's begin here. The first word we have to begin with is the word grace. Right? It's the word grace. As to each one of us, grace has been given. Paul begins by naming the grace for ministry that Christ has given us something. When talking about the work of Christ in us, we must begin by recognizing this. What we possess and what we are capable of in Christ are both things that are given to us, not something that we have earned. Grace speaks to the work of God in us, regardless of our personal talents, regardless of our personal skills, regardless of our personal abilities. Grace, listen, When Paul names grace, he's speaking about the ability of Jesus in us, his empowering. Therefore, if it's the work of grace and the work of Jesus and the work he's pouring into us and the things that he's doing, then when we look, listen, when we look at one another's lives, there can be no comparison and no competition. Why? Because it's something that Jesus gave without us having any influence in it whatsoever. And so how grace works is this. God's going to give you five gallons worth of ability or grace. And he's going to give me six inches of it. Who's better? Well, we're all equal because we're not responsible for the talents or the gifts that God gave us. He gave it as he saw fit, as he apportioned it, as he chose. And so the idea is this. You've been given five feet. I've been given six inches. And God isn't concerned about how much we have, but instead how much we are using of what we've been given. That's grace. The idea is this. LeBron James has been given five gallons worth of basketball ability. I've been given six inches. Right. Like he can win championships and get millions from the Lakers and I can barely beat preschoolers and horse. But here's the deal. If we are both using to the fullness of the measure that God has poured out, we're equal in the eyes of God. 
that's grace. I hear people talk all the time say, oh my gosh, dude, I could never get on stage and speak. Right? So God maybe has given me just a little bit more of a measure of grace to speak. But here's the deal. If you came up here and you fumbled through speaking, but it was 100% of God's ability and grace given to you, in the eyes of God, our communication skills are equal. That's how grace works. God gives us things that keeps us from comparing and contrasting and competing with one another in the context of what he's apportioned. It's like, why do you think you should be like that person? I gave you six inches. Just use your six inches and you're equal in my eyes to what they're doing. So God's given grace. It's been apportioned to us. He chose how much to give. If you want to get frustrated with it for how much he gave you, that's up to you. Or you could just celebrate what you've been given. So he's given you grace. And you receive it and say thank you. And then he graces us with gifts. He graces us with gifts. He gives them to his people. When seeing this word, each of us understand the nature of gifts. We love Christmas and we love birthdays. We like birth. Those of you who have siblings, you like birthdays more because the whole day gets to be about you. Christmas, you got to share with your siblings, right, with your kids and stuff, right? But like on birthdays, it's all about you. And so we love it because what happens on these days? We get gifts and people get what we want for our use, right? So growing up, like I would get like, my dad would buy me fishing gear and I'd get a football over here. I'd get a guitar and it was all for my use and all for me, Right? But the nature of the gifts that God gives that Paul is talking about is they're gifts given to you for others. Like my girls one year, it was really, really funny. Thank Catherine and Sarah. Like I bought them fishing. I bought them fishing poles. Right. And they were smart. Like, did you really buy those for yourself? Dad? I'm like, no, maybe. Right. But you can use them too. Right. No, it's this whole dynamic. Like we buy gifts. And so the idea is they're gifts. That God gives us for the purpose of using them for other people. So here's an analogy. Let's say all of us, there's probably about 130 people in this room. So let's say 130 of us were walking through the desert together, and guess what? We've been there for several hours, and we're all really thirsty. But, but let's say you, you are like the Lewis and Clark, right? So you're always going ahead, right? You're way up. You're like blazing the trail, making sure everything's safe, everything's good to go, right? But you're way up there because you're really cool. And all of a sudden, like, out of the middle of nowhere, some dude with a tractor pulls up, and he's got like a hundred, got a big old water tank of a hundred gallons of water and some red Solo cups, Right. And there's 130 red solo cups or 131, including you. Right. And so the 131 solo cups, he's like, hey, here's my gift for you. And you're like, I just need one cup. <laughs> right. No, man, you know what that gift is for. You know what that hundred gallons of water, not water tank is for behind the tractor. It's not for you. It's for every single person that you've been leading up to this moment. And when you when they get there, you say, guys, someone gave me a gift of 100 gallons of water and everybody gets a red Sulo cup. Make sure you put your name on it. Don't we're not sharing. No, no cooties here. Right. Put your name on it. But man, take your drink and then get back in the line. We'll come back going through until all the water's gone. It's a gift given to you. You didn't earn it by God's grace. Right. You didn't earn it, but it was given to you. Why? So that you could give it away. Why are you called to give it away? Because you have to equip 
That's the other word here. Verse 12. He's graced with gifts for the purpose of equipping. You have been, you're a rock and you have been given nice gifts so that others can build upon you and you are their support. You are their encouragement and you're the one that they're invested into and you're investing into them. Equipping is about building or preparing. You've been graced with gifts to equip the body of Christ. It's about building. It's about preparing. It's about investing energy, skills, and your giftings for the purpose of growing someone or something. Here, the someone that you're equipping, it's the whole of the body of Christ. It's the person or people or group that God has placed into your life that you now are a foundation we cannot, in this moment, we are helping equip, we're helping build them, Listen, we're helping to equip and build them for the work that God has for them to do in life. We can't miss the language of Paul. God has gifted us by grace, unearned with tools we must use to build up others. Hear this. Equipping is something that we will have to choose. Equipping is something that will require effort. Equipping is something that requires energy. It will require personal sacrifice. And hear this. It will require your intentionality. Equipping is not just by happenstance. It just happens randomly. No. He's calling them to equip. It's a choice. It's a moment of recognizing, oh, it's not just one single rock that's been plucked out of the wall that I kind of live by myself over here and I kind of live vicariously as the wall on my own. No, it requires me being intentional, being a part of the wall, the body, engaged, invested, giving, receiving those I'm upon and giving to those that are building upon me. The purpose of the equipping is clear. We're giving people water. We are giving them what we have to grow them into who God wants them to be and helping them grow into doing what God wants them to do. Our lives and our gifts are not our own. Equipping. Hear this. So think about this. You all have all heard of Elijah and Elisha. You remember that chapter when Elisha comes to Elijah and says, I want what you have. And if you read it, Elijah's annoyed. You know, Elijah's like, I don't have time for this. I got like this whole like nation that's like, doesn't like me. I'm, God's about to either kill me or like, take me up. My time's coming to an end. I don't really have time for you, but here's the deal, man. It's like, if you, if you just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go places. I'm not gonna think about you, but if you, if you go with me the entire time, right? If you go with me and you're with me when the time's up, then you can have my poor, you can have a double portion of what I have. And so Elijah goes about his business, and Elijah latches on. Elisha, and everywhere they go, Elisha's with him. And all of a sudden, like the chariots of fire come down, whatever it is, they take up Elijah. Elisha's left with the mantle, and Scripture tells us he did eight miracles compared to Elijah's four. Double portion. Elijah's like, I don't have time. Do we ever use that argument? I'm too busy. I got so much going on. It's just not my season. Paul never talks about seasons of your responsibility to equip others. Never. The expectation is in every season, whether you're prepared or not, he will move through you. Why? Because it's not you doing it, it's Jesus. You've been empowered. So 
chapter 1 through 3, with the Holy Spirit to do, a, to do more than you could ever dream or imagine. And what's the result when we do it? I'm glad you asked. Man, 12b through 13 tells us. I'll go ahead and just read this. 12 through 13. Put it up on the screen for me. 12 to 13 says this. So you're going to equip people for works of service? Results so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, until we reach unity in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. I just simplified these in these four things. Four results of our effort of living intentionally in the power of the Holy Spirit, equipping others who are resident, being the rock that others can be built on. Number one, the body, the body of Christ. The greatest wonder of the world will be built and it will be effective. Only if we do our job of equipping. Second, second effect, second result. There will be unity in the faith. Unity of all of us walking together with Christ as Lord. Unity in faith. Third is unity in the knowledge of Jesus. Unity in the knowledge of Jesus. I, I butchered this quote I, I, earlier from A.W. Tozer, but, but basically he was talking about unity. And he said, sometimes we can make, listen, we can make an idol of unity. He said, we don't go after unity, we go after Jesus. And his whole point that he got out, and this is kind of how I, I paraphrased it in my mind, was this. If everybody goes after unity, then you focus on unity. But if you go after Jesus, and we go all after Jesus together, at the end, we all find out that we're at the exact same place. <laughs> the feet of Jesus. If we all go after Jesus, we make him our priority. As we go after Jesus and focus on him, then we all find that we're with him together at his feet. So we have to make Jesus the priority, right? Our faith and our knowledge of Jesus which then leads to maturity. We are the fullness of who God wants us to be, it says in verse 13. And so this idea then, right, unity of the body. As we go after Jesus, we find this happening. We become mature. And the nature of the gifts that we'll look at in a minute is they are all different. They each express different qualities of God's power. They each express different qualities of God's ability that he wants to have expressed in the lives of his followers. Therefore, here, is we find we're not, we're not expressing in this unity sameness of person or sameness in responsibility. Like we're all trying to be similar, all look like kind of, like, kind of the same cookie, cookie cutter mold, right? No, it speaks to a diversity of gifts that when they come together, they build one mature Christ-like body. You all know when everybody looks and acts and talks the same, life is boring. That's why in high school, like the people who actually make it in life are the ones who actually look and act different than everybody else who's trying to wear the same thing and look exactly the same. I mean, the people who get ostracized in high school and middle school, they're the ones who change the world. Because they don't put up a status quo. They don't try to be like everybody else. They don't try to fit in. No, they live different. Man, so the nature of the gifts he gives and their ideas are expressing this difference, expressing who God is and who he is and how different he is in the context of his gifts, expressing this diversity. And so the question I want us to, to, to land with here, and I'm going to name these gifts, 
very quickly. And everyone hear this. Everyone kind of come back. Who are you equipping? You can't think about your children because Paul's not talking about your children. Okay? Like Paul's not talking about your children when he's talking about the equipping. He's talking about who in the body of Christ that needs to be developed and trained and raised up are you equipping. It's an understood that you're equipping your children. That's just an understood Right? He's talking about who in the body of Christ, outside of your biological family, who's in need of growth and maturity and investment, are you giving yourself to in being this for so that they can stand upon you and be your Elisha so that when you get done, you know that you've given him all the water that you have for them to drink so that they can have a double portion of who you are. The expectation you should have of every single person that you're equipping in life is that they should be twice as in love with Jesus as you are. If your equipping is not leading to that, then you're missing the point. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do that. That's the point. You've already been empowered with the grace, with the gifts. Oh, it's already in me? Absolutely. So it's just a matter of just being myself and expressing the Jesus that I know in the context of the relationship I'm in, where I'm equipping? Absolutely. It's not rocket science. Just love Jesus in front of people and lead them. Like, Elijah just lives his life. Just follow me, okay? He wasn't even nice about it. You trying to be a little bit nicer than Elijah, okay? That's your litmus test. How nice am I? I'm nicer than Elijah? Okay, great. At least I'm not calling down people. Anyway, so as I do, you know, with other scripture, we're not going to do that. Anyway, so all this idea is this. Who are you equipping? Who are you investing into? And, and so here's the point. Here, this, this is the beautiful piece. The idea of the gifts of the APES that I'm naming, you can put those on the screen, the APES that we're naming. Everybody say APES. This is a great memory for you. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, and the shepherd, and the teacher. Here it is. All of these are still active in the church today. Now, I'm not saying big A apostle like... You speak, and it's as if God's speaking type stuff. I'm not saying I'm talking like little a, little p, little e, little little s, little t. Like we're each representing. We we have evangelists, don't we? We still have shepherds. We still have teachers. We still have those who are proclaiming truth. We still have those, right, who are like leading the charge in church planting and going and building things, right? We still have all the apes somewhere being expressed. And the idea is that here's this. Every, listen, every single one of you are carrying one of these as a primary expression of God's movement in your life. And you're using this, whether you know that you've been graced with this gift to equip. And so you've been given five gallon version of it and so you've been given six inch version of it. But in the eyes of God, that's all equal. He's just saying, where, listen, wherever you have influence, whether it's in your church whether it's in your family, whether it's in your business, whether it's in your school. You need to be, with the grace and this gift, equipping wherever you are. Are you? Let me say so equipping. So, so you have people at work. Let's just use the work world, right? You have work world. What are you doing? Well, you're there and you're, you're doing your job. But let's be honest. In all of your jobs, what do you have? You have people around you. And... Like, let's be honest, people like to talk and tell you what's going on in their lives, right? 
and do you just sit there and pretend like they're not talking? No, you engage them. And what do you find? Somewhere along the way, you find yourself being this for somebody that you work with. And you can either engage the reality, oh, in this person whose life I'm influencing, I can express the apex to them by being, equipping, helping, coming alongside and leading them to Jesus or not. With your neighbors. Listen, y'all, I can't say it sounds we're going to sit on the front porch. We front porch sitters on purpose. We sit on the front porch so people will come to our house. We'll be sitting there, they'll walk by, they'll start talking, and then all of a sudden, no reason, they just start weeping. I'm either going to apest them or not. I'm either going to come in the moment and be this or not. I'm going to run away, right? And sometimes I'm going to do this, right? But I can't, can I? Man, I gotta equip, I gotta come and be a rock, I gotta be someone's investing into their life. Apest, here we go. I'm gonna go super fast. This is not going to satisfy any of your longings as it relates to the gifts. So good, good news. You get to go figure it out and study it yourself. It's on purpose. Here we go. A best leadership speaks directly to the leadership in the church, yes. But even more so, it speaks to the way we lead in every area of our life, the family, whatever. Anywhere we have influence of people. Here we go. Apostles. They extend the gospel. They are the sent ones. They ensure the faith. Is continually being transmitted from one context to another. You can think missionaries from one generation to the next. They are always, and these are like the entrepreneurs you see in the church. They're always thinking about the future. They're always trying to bridge from where they are to get to the next thing. They're establishing the church in new contexts, new ideas. They're the idea people. They're never satisfied with status quo. They always want something new. They're developing. They're networking. They're always thinking forward. They're raising the status quo and do something new. How do you know you're an apostle? You're an entrepreneur? You run people over all the time and you leave them in your wake without knowing it. Because you're like, it's not about the person, it's about where we're going. That's the apostle. That's the A, right? You're like, this is, we can just slow down. No, we're here about going. Prophets. Prophets know God's will. They are particularly attuned to God. They listen to his truth for today. They're very black and white, right and wrong. They bring correction. They challenge the dominant assumptions we inherit from culture. They insist that the community obey what God has commanded. Very black and white. Very justice-oriented. Most of our social justice people in the world actually are prophetic in their nature. They see right and wrong, and they want things to be right. They don't live in gray. They don't live in gray. Man, gray is like, that's from the devil in their mind, right? No, it's black and white. They, again, they also question the status quo evangelists. Man, they're the recruiters. They're trying to win others over, right? These are infectious communicators in the church of the gospel message. They recruit others to the cause. They call for a personal response to God's redemption in Christ. They also draw believers to engage the world. It's like, listen, it's not about being inside our four walls. We've got to get outside the four walls, guys. Come on, think about those who aren't in. They want everyone who's out to be in. And they don't care necessarily as much about those who are in because they want people who are out to get in. They're the, listen, and so the A, the P, and the E, they're not so much focused on the inside of the four walls. They're all about out there. 
Recognizing there's a lost world dying and going to hell, and we better do something about it, and we're going to. What you primarily find inside the four walls of the church are the shepherds. The shepherds, they nurture, they protect. They are caregivers of the community. They focus on the protection and the spiritual maturity of God's flock, right? Giving themselves to discipleship and investment, to family. They're cultivating a loving and spiritually mature network of relationships. They're making and developing disciples, right? They are shepherding. They are caring for those that are inside the four walls, right? The problem is shepherds can value stability to the detriment of the mission, They circle the wagons and care for those who are inside, and someone has to be outside. But shepherds, sometimes they can stay too close to the inside. They get it. That's why, do you see how all these link together? Like one apart from all the others, they hurt people or they don't go anywhere, right? Don't do it. Shepherds just don't do anything apart from prophets, evangelists, and apostles making them get out of those other four walls. Teachers. Teachers understand, they explain, they're communicators, they take. Difficult things, they try to simplify. They want to make sure that, that we're staying biblically grounded, right, so we can better discern God's will. They're guiding others towards wisdom, helping the community remain faithful to God's word. They're constructing a, a doctrine, a belief about God that makes sense, that's biblically accurate, right? Now, without the input of the other functions, what? Teachers can fall into dogmatism and dry intellectualism. They're... So up here, they're not anywhere else. So teachers need everybody else to try to help shape them, right? These are the apest. I know I went really fast. But I wonder when I was reading through if your spouse popped out to you. Oh, my gosh, they're really black and white. They're definitely a prophet, right? Or maybe something popped out about you. Believe it or not, there's, a ton, there's tons of resources out here about this stuff. I'd love to encourage you. There's a... Um, well, I can't remember off the top of There's a book called Forgotten Ways by Alan Hirsch. Forgotten Ways, you can look it up. He has a great, he has a great section on all of this. Forgotten Ways, Alan H I R S C H. In all of this, right, God is moving. He's graced us with gifts. I just went through them very quickly, and you are functioning in one or two of those that primarily define who you are. And when you give your life, this is what it looks like. You nurture sometimes, or other of your apostles like, man, we've got to go over here, bro. Let's go, right? You've been around people who are like this. Sometimes you've been around people who are so nurturing it gets on your nerves sometimes. And you just want someone to tell you to live on the edge and live dangerously. Come on, man. Get off, get off your butt and do something. You're like, yeah, that's what I needed. Huh, and then you're like, now where's my pastor? Though? I'm going to go back to him. That's scary, right? No, but you know, getting at all of us are functioning in these areas, and all of us, because each of us are building this. We're building the great wonder of the world, and we are used by God to equip. And if we will find those that God is leading us to, what happens? We build the wonder of the world that changes everything. And that's what we want to dive into in small groups, what Paul wants to lead the church to. That's what we want God to do here at Vintage. Let's pray. Father, I just got really excitable. And I know, Jesus, ultimately any of this takes, that takes place is because of your help. And not just your help. I mean, it really requires literally you doing all the heavy lifting. Your empowering. Your grace. Father, we confess that we've gotten really comfortable sitting in churches and being nurtured and cared for and loved on. So beautiful, but God, 
Man, there's just many times that you just speak prophetically and say, it's time to move. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to raise up these voices. I pray in each person, God, as, as I begin to speak about something, God, I have to believe you begin to like stir something inside. And, oh, my gosh, I think this is me. I think this is the stirring that God is doing in me. This is where he's calling me to equip others. And so, Jesus, I, I pray for those today, God, who, who maybe are wrestling with understanding their, what gift you grace them with. I pray in this season that, God, you would take them on a journey of revealing that. I pray you'd give them, like, I pray for us for the, the empowerment, God, to slow down and to listen and to learn who they are so that they then can equip others. And, and I thank you, Jesus, they don't have to even know what their gifts are to equip others. It's just simply inviting people into their life and trusting, God, that you want to love them, love people, and empower people through them. And so I pray today, God, that you just awaken them, that you lift their head to this call, to equipping. And I pray, God, that you would bless them there. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, this morning, I, I do, I want to invite you to respond as the Lord would lead. And, and in that responding, obviously we have, we have our offering baskets available every Sunday. If you, just res- you respond this morning through your tithe and offering and worship, we invite you to do that. Communion's available every week. And this is not just to remember the work of salvation as something in the past, but to recognize it, his salvation is alive and moving inside of us today. He's saving us from the world. He's saving us from ourselves. He's saving us to empower us every day. Well, our ministry teams, they can go ahead and come forward now, and they will be here to pray for you. For anything going on in your life, whether it's like, I just need help in this, I want to release, or you just need healing or breakthrough, salvation, anything you need God's movement in your life, I want to pray for you. What time is it? No, 20 after. All right. So I'm done. So you officially can go now. Uh, when I get done, I walk off. The, we're going to go into worship. And here's the deal. You stay as long as the Lord needs you to stay. Okay? And then when he's done with the work here, then you can go. I'm just going to trust you to know what that looks like and feels like and leading you to do, okay? Today, then, don't forget to sign up for small groups. Don't forget to stay for a lunch today for our Guatemala team. And don't forget Tuesday to be here for prayer and worship. You guys have a great week. We love you.